Uh, greetings in the name of Jesus. Welcome. For those of you that are, are tuning in live stream right now, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us. If you're paying attention digitally in a different medium later on this week or later on this month, um, this is an amazing opportunity for us to connect together. And uh, just want you to know if you've ever in town, if you're ever Zealand Way, we'd love to see you swing on by. There are a lot of amazing churches out here um, that would welcome you in and, and give you a safe place to worship Jesus. So we're glad that you're with us today. We are in the midst of the discussion about faith. It started a couple weeks ago. Pastor Trent opened it up and uh, asking the question, what is faith? Uh, how does faith manifest itself? What does it mean when people express their faith? And began with the story of Cain and Abel, uh, demonstrating to us, uh, helping us understand the difference between a faith that is an offering to God and a faith that is just a sacrifice. Uh, we do it because we have to. Last week, he talked a little bit about money and, uh, and how that manifests in our own lives, whether or not God is the owner of all things or, or whether or not we are and we just share with him a little bit. Today, we are going to be talking about faith when it comes to Noah. Now, I uh, practiced this message with my wife earlier this week, and she was quite frust frustrated because um, I don't talk about Noah a whole lot. <laughs> She's like, isn't this sermon about Noah? I'm like... Yes, but the point of the sermon is not Noah himself. When you get to the end, you're like, oh, so it wasn't really about Noah at all. So I don't talk about Noah a whole lot. She was quite frust frustrated with, that, uh, with me on that. So I'm looking forward to frustrating you today. <laughs> Before we dig in, and since I'm not talking about Noah, let me uh, just ask you a random off-the-kind-of-cuff shoot question here. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of a guy named Mordecai Ham? Mordecai Ham. Um, yeah, a couple of us have heard of Mordecai. But uh, for the rest of us, Mordecai is a mystery. Who is Mordecai? Why would his parents name him Mordecai? That seems like a punishment. Um, you know, he was born in 1877, so you got to cut him some slack. Probably we haven't heard about Mordecai because Mordecai was long uh, in the grave before many of us were born. He died in 1961, and uh, so it's, it's hard to know about people you've never heard of. So let me share with you who Mordecai is. Mordecai is a man born in 1877. Died in 1961. He was a Christian, a believer, a brother in Christ. He was a preacher. Uh, he had a congregation, but he also would travel a lot, sharing the gospel in, in revival tent meeting kind of things. This was the this time in the life, uh, in, the, in the history of the United States, where, where this was a common thing. Itinerant traveling preachers, Mordecai was one of those. Mordecai is also well known for being a rampant racist. It took a turn there, huh? Anti-Semite, that means he really hated Jewish people. And anti-Catholic, which means he really hated Catholic people. In fact, uh, one, uh, one year during the 1928 presidential election, he told his congregation that if they voted for the Democratic candidate, a guy by the name of Al Smith, he said, if you vote for him, you will be voting against Christ and you will be condemned to hell. Now, I don't think it's because he was a Democrat necessarily. I think it has more to do with the fact that um, Al Smith has the dubious honor of being the very first Catholic candidate for president. And Mordecai was really anti-Catholic. Not ringing any bells. I mean, I'm sure you heard, you know, bedtime stories about this guy. No? All right, maybe this helps. <clears throat> 
One time when he was doing his traveling itinerant preaching, he was in North Carolina and at a, at a tent revival meeting, he's preaching the word of God and it so impacted one 16-year-old kid that that kid said, not only do I love Jesus, but I'm going to dedicate my life to ministry. And that kid's name was Billy Graham, the man responsible for bringing Billy Graham into the ministry, under whose teaching Billy Graham became a preacher of the word of God, is Mordecai Ham. As human beings, we are strange, uh, interesting, and very complex creatures, aren't we? Um, which is an easy thing to remember when you're looking in the mirror. You know, you make a mistake, you know, you know I'm, I'm complex. I'm not all good. I'm not all bad. Uh, I'm a mixture of all kinds of things, and I'm sure God understands that. It's easy when we're looking in the mirror to remember that. It's really hard to remember that when we're looking at somebody else. I mean, now that I've told you that Mordecai was a racist... Does that mean that he never preached the word of God? Hmm. It's really easy to just pigeonhole people. People are just one thing, right? Moses was the guy with the Ten Commandments, and he always looks a little bit like Charlton Heston. <laughs> King David is always the kid with the sling. Joseph is always the guy with the fancy coat, uh, the robe of many colors. Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego are all the, the, the kids with the, the, the burning furnace. And, and Peter was the disciple who could not control himself. Always act first and ask questions later. Noah, Noah's just a guy who built a boat. People are never just one thing. And it's hard to remember. Our memories can, can fog up. They can mess with us. When our emotions get played with, we, we have trouble remembering that, 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 that people are more complex than we want to give them credit for. Fifth grade English, only thing I remember of fifth grade English was one day when a young lady in my class sneezed so hard that she um, passed gas. That's all I remember of Tiffany. <laughs> and that's not fair. Tiffany's probably, she's probably in her mid-40s now. She could be a world traveler, an entrepreneur. She could have a business. She could, she could be the, the, the president of a multinational corporation. She could have a family, many kids. I've, I've, got, I've got people I graduated with who are grandparents. Maybe she's got grandkids. But in my mind, thinking back to fifth grade, ha-choo, It's, it's, it's not fair. As I was prepping for this message, we're going to talk about Noah a little bit. So we want to talk about faith. And here's this man of faith. And how is Noah a man of faith? And there are a lot of different ways that he could be a man of faith. Am I going to talk about how Noah was a man of faith um, in that uh, he come from a long line of faithful men, right? Um, that, that's a piece of how it means to be a man of faith. Could I talk about how he was a man of faith in that uh, he was raising up his kids and he wanted to save their lives. And so they were invited into the boat. Can I talk about being a man of faith in that they were on the boat for a really long time? But he kept the hope. He kept, he kept you know, anticipating that God would come through. Um, do I talk about how he was a man of faith? And, uh, you, know, you know, he's told by God to build an ark, probably in the middle of dry land. And so he starts building it. And all these people are, like, making fun of him. Can you keep the faith? Can you stay on target when people are deriding you and making fun of you and opposing you? And you can still do what God is asking you even when they are, are they just keep pushing you away and then calling you names? 
Can we talk about that? I could talk about all kinds of things that, that that's true about Noah and whether or not he's a man of faith. But to make sure that, that I've got it right, I've got to start with, the, start with the source, right? So we dig in, you know, dig into the Bible, dig into the Word of God. How is, how is Noah a man of faith? So I'm reading this, all the stories, everything in, in the Bible about Noah. Was, Noah did this, Noah did that. And, and, and suddenly it, it occurs to me that nowhere in there is anything about Noah getting picked on for building the ark. I'm sure I, I'm sure I heard that somewhere. I did. Somebody preached it one time. It's not in the Bible. Did you know that's not in the Bible? The Bible didn't say anything about anybody caring at all what Noah was doing. The Bible tells us some very specific things. It says that God told Noah to do an amazing thing. It tells us that Noah did it. It tells us that Noah and his family and a bunch of animals are sealed up in the ark. It tells us that all the rest of the living creatures on earth, including all the people, perished. You know what else the Bible tells us about Noah? He was a faithful man. It also tells us that one day he got drunk and passed out naked in his tent. Did you know that was in the Bible? All right, so now suddenly I'm wondering, how often do I pay attention to the wrong things? Am I absolutely certain it was Tiffany who um, sneezed? It could have been Keith. Keith was a flatulent guy. <laughs> All right, so if we're going to talk about faith, we're going to talk about Noah. How about we let God's word speak to us? So let's dig in a little bit. Let's let... Hebrews 11, tell us what is true about faith and about Noah, uh, Noah and some other people too. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, <clears throat> that's like, like if you open your Bible, it's way near the end. If you get to like 1 John, you went too far. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch, this is an ancestor of Noah. Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. And this is a quote from the, the, the passages that, that, that tell the story. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him by faith. Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This is what the Bible has to say about faith and about these, these people who were faithful. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but something I found interesting in these depictions of what faith is and who these people are and all these examples, I didn't notice any particular grand achievement elevated as the thing that demonstrated faith. There was not some amazing accomplishment in the name of God or in the name of Jesus that happened that, that, that set these people apart. When you look at what God is saying in this passage about the importance of faith, what you find 
is that it has everything to do about knowing what is true and then responding appropriately. But it begins with knowing what is true. The response thing is, is kind of this thing that happens over here. The knowing that is true, this is the thing that is built up. This is faith. Hey, you want to understand faith? Know what is true. What starts this whole treatise on faith isn't a grand story, but a simple assertion that something is true because it is told to us by God. And what was that thing? It starts it all? Well, he formed the universe out of nothing. He formed the universe out of nothing. Only he formed the universe out of nothing. This we know is true. Why? Because God told us so. Can we prove it? Probably not. Can anybody dispute it? Not really. Tell me someone who was there. So God says it, and we go, okay. Know what is true, accept it, and then mold your life around it. That's faith. I mean, think about the examples. Think about the people named here. Abel gave God an offering that actually honored him, an offering instead of a sacrifice, because Abel knew what was true, and he molded his response around it. A guy named Enoch. Uh, Enoch was famous uh, because he never died. He was just taken straight up to heaven. And God he was proud of him. He was pleased. Why? Because Enoch sought God. Enoch knew who was true. And he fashioned the way he lived and who he tried to please around what was true. A guy named Noah. Noah believed what God said. Oh, really? God says it's going to rain and I should build a boat. Okay, I'm going to build a boat. What else am I going to do? It's like a no-brainer. God says what's true. Noah responds. See, the power of faith in these, in these forefathers, the power of faith is not the thing that they accomplished, not the response, not the amazing blessing that God raised up. It's not because Enoch never had to die. It's not because a, a, a great big boat that held a whole bunch of animals was built. The faith is that moment where God says something is true, and these people said, I'm standing here. I believe you. Even if it seems ridiculous, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's about stuff that I don't quite understand, I'm just going to believe you. I used to think faith was the big stuff, the evidence, right? The grand stories, the cool stuff that you get to tell people, and it always gets us riled up and excited, and we love to tell the stories. I used to think grand statements, accomplishments with Jesus, this is faith. People wanted a salvation. Armies toppled in the name of the Lord. Nations, strongholds crumbled. Healing and demons slain. Giants killed with pebbles and fires that could not consume But I was wrong. The actual power of faith is not in what we accomplish. The, the salvation of enough animals to repopulate the world? <laughs> and the true power that we witness is the moment when each one of those people chose to listen, to believe what God said. That's faith. I trust you, Lord, is faith. No matter what you say, God, I will obey. No matter what you ask, regardless of how I feel or what I'm afraid of, I believe that, Lord, you are always right. And I will conform myself to your definition of what is true. You will tell me what is true. No matter what the topic, I will believe you. That is faith. And that means that no matter what, if I want to understand how to be a man of God, I ask God to tell me what's true. 
and then I do it. If I want to understand what it means to be uh, married, a husband, I ask God what is true, and then I do it. If I want to know what it means to be a good father, I ask God, and he will tell me, and I will do it. Whether it's the topic of the day, whether it's uh, the understanding of grace, whether it's the understanding of love, whether it's the understanding of justice, whether it's the understanding of judgment, everything gets to be defined by the one who makes everything. And we get to simply believe him. He's got a lot to say about a lot of stuff. And faith is choosing not to argue. In big things and little things, the amazing stories we get to tell are the stories of people who've said, I will just simply believe you, Father. And there's wonderful stories to tell. One of my favorite is a, is a, is a wonderful old sermon illustration. A lot of you have probably heard it, but that's okay, because if some of you haven't, it's just beautiful. It's about a woman named Helen Rosevere. She was a missionary from England back in the middle of the 1900s. She went down to the middle of the uh, Africa, like equatorial Africa in the Congo. She was called into medical missions there. And the story goes like this. And Helen told this story. She loved to tell this story. She told it probably up until she died two years ago. Because it's a beautiful story, right? So one day, as a medical missionary... She's trying to help this woman who's pregnant and, the, the, and, and labor has, has onset. The baby's early. It's going to be premature. And the baby is born. And through that birthing process, the mother dies, leaving behind this premature infant and a two-year-old daughter crying because mommy's gone. Now, this is Africa in the 50s. There are no incubators. There's no electricity for incubators. So they go get the box that you put little babies in, and they get the cloth, the, the, the wool cotton batting that you wrap around them. And they go get the hot water bottle so they can keep the baby warm. And as they're filling the hot water bottle, the water bottle breaks. It's the last one. And there's no mire up the road. What are you going to do? All right, get the fire up and hot because it gets cold, equatorial Africa at night. It gets cold and drafty. And if a draft gets into that kid, pneumonia, death. So put the baby as close to the fire as you can. Lay between the baby and the, the door so you can block the drafts and we'll try and get through the night. And they get through the night. And you're just going to do your best. So the noon, the next day, she goes, and she's going to pray at the orphanage with a bunch of kids, and, and she's like, okay, kids, we're going to pray together, and uh, well, there's some things we can pray for. So, uh, like, for instance, there's a tiny baby. It was born early, and the baby's mommy died, and the baby's older sister, too, is crying, and, and they miss their mom. And if we could pray for God to protect them, that'd be great. So the kids start praying. And there's this one little girl named Ruth who's 10 years old, and she goes ahead and prays. She says, please, God, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God. The baby will be dead, so please send it this afternoon. <laughs> and she wasn't done. And while you're about it, God, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know that you really love her? Amen. To which Helen is like, <laughs> amen. So the day continues on. She goes about her work. She's off in an office doing her thing. 
And then she gets a notice. Somebody sends her notice. Hey, um, there's a car out by your house. Okay. So she quick runs over to the house. By the time she gets there, the car is gone. But there, waiting on her porch, is a great big package. She's been in Africa for four years. She's never gotten a care package. She got one today. 22-pound parcel. She's freaking out. She's like, go get the kids. We're opening a present. They're popping the twine. They're opening it up. Oh, 22 pounds of awesomeness. They're going through. There's all kinds of clothes in there. The kids are all having a good time. You're digging a little bit deeper. And then they get to like the bandages for the lepers. And, and the kids are like not so excited. And, and then there's some raisins and some ingredients that are going to make some really good sticky buns later. <laughs> like, woohoo, that's really good. And as she's digging in there, boom. is it possible and out comes a hot water bottle. Now, who in their right mind, right mind sends a hot water bottle to equatorial Africa when you're in England, right? Like shorts, sure, flip-flops, okay. But a hot water bottle? And little Ruthie, 10-year-old Ruthie is standing there. She's like, oh, there it is. Well, if that's in there, there must be a dolly. And she dives into this box there she's the dolly dolly for the, for the little girl. It took five months for that package to get there. And it landed at just the right time, on just the right day, with just the right stuff in it. Now, that's a great story. We love the stories, right? You, 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 you get the, oh, right? You can't not. So where's the power of faith in this? Is the power of faith that God answered a prayer? Is the power of faith little Ruthie's prayer? Yeah, kind of. But the moment of real power is when somebody in England says, you know what, I've never done this before, but I think I'm supposed to send a care package to Helen down there in the Congo. And I don't understand why, but there needs to be a hot water bottle in there. Does that make sense? No. Am I going to do it anyway? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hey, go catch a fish. There's going to be a coin in its mouth, Jesus said. Hey, you know what? I know you've been fishing all night and you've thrown that net a thousand times and you haven't caught a single thing. I want you to take your nets, throw them over the other side one more time. Do you trust me? And they caught so many fish, but is the miracle the fish? No. The miracle is that they threw the net. Even the Bible tells us exactly how many fish, but that's not the point. They threw the net. That's the point. It's not the size of the result that makes it faith. It's the willingness to say, yes, Lord, yes, of course I will, because you say so. And when God says there's a rainstorm coming, you build a boat. There's two parts to real faith, two parts. The first part is to make sure it's actually the Lord speaking. And that's a tough part because sometimes we like to, to, to put words in God's mouth. But he is the truth teller. He's the one who knows what's going on. And we do. We put words in his mouth. I'm, I'm guilty of it as, as anybody. I put words in God's mouth. When I was a college student and I was poor and I had nothing, some weirdo gave me a credit card. Chase, I think, did. 
And I was absolutely sure, sure that God did not want me to suffer unduly for being a college student. And so a lot of appetizers at Perkins later and some movies and, I don't know, a PlayStation. Because <laughs> God doesn't want me to suffer. And $25,000 later, I realized I was putting words in his mouth. The first part of faith is knowing who's speaking. Here's some good source material. We have trusted people around us who can help us discern what God is saying. Doesn't match the word. Doesn't match who God is. We got to pay attention to that. We got to make sure that it's Jesus telling us. It's Jesus saying, okay, I want you to step out of the boat. Okay? That's the first part. But the second part is this. When we are sure that it's Jesus saying, step out of the boat, step out of the boat, then you got to do it. You actually got to do it. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to sink. You don't know if you're going to fly. You have no idea. But if Jesus is saying it, oh my goodness, we have got to step out of the boat. Not because we really, really need to walk on water, but because Yes, Lord, needs to be the anthem, the heartbeat, the, 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 the thumping sound that is a part of our lives every day. And it doesn't have to end in something big. We don't have to have amazing stories where 10-year-olds pray and water bottles appear. Because that's not where the power of faith is. The power of faith is when somebody says, yes. It's not what it accomplishes. It's the act of trust itself. Stories like Abel and Enoch and Noah aren't about how amazing these guys are for what they did. It's stories about how an infinite God loves us so much that he will do what seems like reckless love all over us and give us an amazing journey and amazing things can be a part of it or maybe not so amazing things, but every little step gets to be something that reflects who he is. And it's amazing. It just blows us away what's possible when these strangely complex creations that God has made love him back with such similar abandon. We're not meant to celebrate approved offerings like Abel had or we're not meant to celebrate the not death of Enoch and we're not here to celebrate arks built. This isn't about Noah. We're here to celebrate the God who says, I've got a little piece of path right here that you can see. I want you to take a step and to celebrate when people go, okay. And we're never responsible for that, where that road ends up. We don't get to choose that. We're not responsible for where it goes. We're responsible for the faith that it takes to simply say, yes, Lord, when God says, go and he will be glorified and maybe maybe amazing things happen often amazing things happen may our faith be strong and our willingness to say yes be right there at the tip of our tongues in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit let's pray heavenly father thank you Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for challenging us, for giving us 
amazing, amazing paths to walk. We don't know where they're going to go, but we trust you. And it's easy to say, we're going we're gonna to be real about it too. We trust you. And we're not going to do it perfectly. We know that, but we trust you. And we're just going to keep saying that. We trust you. We trust you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your love for us that has called us to amazing stuff. For your glory, in the glory of the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Oh, he loves you. Recklessly, it seems, he loves you. No matter what has happened, no matter what you've done, he loves you. He loves you, and he's got an amazing plan for you. Will you love him back? Will you trust him? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all, today and tomorrow, forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen.